mai te tamaiti ki au, ki a fitu ana tau mako e hoki atu, he tangata. Give me the child till he is seven, and I will return you the man. Tēnei te mehi ki a kaitau katoa e whakarongo mai nei ki te hōtaka a te ahikā. Ko Maraia Rakraku ahau. Ko Justin Maria ahau, this is Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. As we head into Christmas Madness, this week it's all about entertainers. From a composer based on Whanganui to, well, the Kawero kid. Yes, when I go back there I just get all maudlin and sad and I look at the mountain that I used to climb and run up and, you know, all walk up and run down um, the Mount uh, Edgecombe there um, I look, uh, go I go down by the river where I used to swim mm. um, and I just sit there and just reminisce on those beautiful childhood days. John Rolls who despite spending long periods living overseas still very much sees himself as a Māori boy from an eastern bay of plenty, Timbertown All of that and more when he talks to Justine about his biography John Rolls if I only had time. And we're even treated to a tune that's coming up. Synonymous with Whanganui Kapahaka group Matapihi is composer Morvan Simon. And synonymous with him is Kai Faiki Marai, which celebrated its centenary last weekend. This is one of the meeting houses uh, on the Marai of Kai Faiki and, of course, uh, other houses uh, probably... Um, you know, three at the the river uh, are are older. Um, there was one in Tomorunui, uh, Ngapu Waiwa, which also <clears throat> uh, celebrated uh, 100 years not so very long ago. And um, we're just trying to, I suppose, celebrate the 100 years of our people. Koe rana kaupapa kōrero katoa. That's what's coming up in this edition of Te Ahika. Te Ahika, Radio New Zealand National. Ko te mea tōtahi. Last weekend saw the closing of the 28th Māori Battalion Association, hosted initially at the Wellington War Memorial and then at Papitia Marae. It must have been emotional, Mariah. Aye, it was, especially at the memorial. Eleven of the now remaining 25 vets attended. It ended up being a long, long couple of days for them, and you have to feel for them, eh? Cameras right in their faces. So what does it mean, the closing of the, the association? Well, it basically means that the mana of the association remains with the vets, remembering many of them are in their 80s and 90s now. What does that mean? That they were still making decisions around it. I mean, the association's been wound up, kind of like a business closing. All the people associated with the business are still around, but its role has discontinued. And in our ANZAC program next year, we will feature interviews and recordings from the event. John Rolls was born in Whakatane in 1947, moving around the region and eventually growing up in Kawero. Now, while his dad wanted him to be an all-black, he, on the other hand, had other ideas. 
of the entertaining variety, hitting it big during the 60s and 70s. In November, his biography, written by Angus Gillies, if I only had time, was released, which forms the basis of this corridor with Justine. And what better way to start it than by talking about some of the songs? There was a song I recorded, um, I used to sing in the 70s, called Justine. Love me tender, love me sweet. Yeah, let me know if you want me to sing a song. My um, engineer just said if you'd like to sing that Justine song, that would be great. Oh, no, that's a rock song. That's Justine? No, no, that wouldn't work. Oh, OK. <laughs> I, I can't remember it. Um, yeah, I know it was called Justine, but I can't remember it. Unchained, sorry, Righteous Brothers. I must YouTube yeah. So will you be singing a song, are you able to sing a song after this, um, John? Or not, your guitars? No, that's fine. Oh, it's, okay. it's not broken. It's, oh, okay. um, it's the controls that are broken. I have to, because if it falls inside, I'm in trouble. It's very tender. It's right where the, where the volume button is. How long have you had that particular guitar for? 45 years. Yeah. And it still say. sounds great. Listen Ooh. to this. You know it's got that crisp sound. Nice. It's um I'll have to get another one though soon because I'm I can't if it breaks down on me on stage because I do a, a, an acoustic bracket. Yes. And if it breaks down I'm stuck. Hey, that's not the Gibson one. No, this is an ovation. Ah, okay. No, this is the round back ovation. I'll have to get another one, a spare one, you know, to take to shows just in case. Yeah. Do you still have the Gibson one that... Yeah, I still got my Gibson. Ooh, yeah. the one that... The, um, white one, the white one, yeah. John Rolls. Kia ora, John. Kia ora, Justine. Kia ora. Kia ora, kia ora. And welcome to Te Ahika. If we could first uh, start no off... No mai, haere mai. Aye, aye, no mai. <laughs> um, if we could start, please, by you um, telling me where you were born, raised, your iwi and your hapu. I was born in probably the same uh, hospital as... Um, in Fakatane is um, the famous uh, rugby league player. What's his name? Because uh, it's related, related to my father's side. Uh, jo- What's his name? And he plays plays for the Tigers. Um, anyway, Fakatane, I was born, and um, and I was uh, moved to was living in Edgecombe, and moved to Matata, and then moved to Kowado, and I was raised in Kowado. Yes. Bay of Plenty. Bay of Plenty. So Marshall, Marshall, you know the football player. Benji. Benji, Benji yeah. Marshall. Yes, we're born in that same hospital, I think. <laughs> That's only one down there. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I'm, you know, through and through, I'm a Bay of Plenty girl myself. So, would you consider yourself, you know, home as as, as Kawero? Yes, when I go back there, I just get all maudlin and sad, and I look at the mountain that I used to climb and run up and you know, or walk up and run down. Um, the Mount uh, Edgecombe there. Um, I look, uh, go, I go down by the river where I used to swim, mm. um, and I just sit there and just reminisce on those beautiful childhood days. Yes, I love it. I just love it. And so, I mean, and the reason—well, not only the reason, John—but you're, you're here to. Um, you've released your autobiography. Yeah, I finally got to. Um, Finish my autobiography, If Only Had Time, yeah. With Angus? With, with Angus Gillies. Gillies. Yeah. yeah. He's, uh, he, he and I uh, sat in my kitchen table for many, many, <laughs> many, many months and got this thing done. 
And so what was that process like for you? Um, it proved that I didn't have any trouble with Alzheimer's or anything because I <laughs> mostly, I mostly remembered just about uh, almost everything. And um, it was enjoyable and just um, a little little tedious at times, you know, like watching the the paint, uh, the grass grow. But um, you know, it was it was uh, there was a lot of exciting, fun times on remembering those stories, my all my memoirs through the years, um, and and just uh, having Angus sort of group them together, which you know, which is fantastic. And we finally got through it. So, John, how old were you when you left um, left the nest? You left uh, Kawero to head to Australia. I left on, I came up from Kawero on my prefect with a friend. Yes. I searched around Auckland to get a job. Sorry, Auckland, as, yes. Auckland to get a job as a guitarist and a singer. Walked down to the Picasso in Cook Street at the time. Ran into Eddie Lowe and his brother, uh, um, Dave? McCro Dave McCroy. Oh. Dave Lowe, sorry. Mm -hmm. And uh, Trixie Willoughby. And um, they were auditioning uh, for someone. I stood in line. And um, it was my turn, and when I'd finished uh, playing uh, Guitar Boogie and One Night With You by Elvis, uh, they called me uh, back into the back room and said, when, you know, when can you start? So I got the job there, only there for about ooh, six weeks, and then Eddie and I took off to Australia. Eddie Lowe and I, we just went, um, the band broke up, dismantled, and... Uh, and Eddie and I didn't want to sort of do the the wrong thing by the band because we were pretty hot, but but <laughs> but we were also looking to go 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 somewhere, you know. Mm. I don't think um, well, I was really surprised because Eddie Lowe, I mean, he did really well in terms of um, because he did go to the Quintickies. Yeah, after yeah, no, he... yeah. Eddie and I left on my birthday in 1964 on the 27th, 26th of March. We left for. Melbourne, we were the Australia, the New Zealand Beatles. We it was that era. <laughs> we used to put our Beatle wigs on and shake our heads That's and right. do all those Beatles songs, and we became very popular in Melbourne. And then we went to Sydney, and we were walking around there, living on a, a pie, a pie and a, a cup, carton of chocolate milk. And we used to share it, and I always just got the biggest half because Eddie couldn't see as good as me, <laughs> so he wouldn't uh, anyway. So. One thing led to another, and then um, and we went to split our we went our own ways, and then I uh, moved on to London, uh, taken over to London, and Eddie went and joined the Quintickies, and we were in a band called the Ding Dongers before he joined <laughs> the Quintickies, and I left the Ding Dongers, and that also um, uh, dismantled that group, and Eddie went his way, then he joined the Quintickies, and then Eddie went on his own singing country, country type music. And I was in England singing all my, you know, international songs. Um, so, so that's actually how it went. Yes, and there were some laugh-out-loud moments in the book where you talked about Eddie and yourself um, doing it, you know, in a gig, and then a fight broke out, and Eddie was in the scuffle, and he grabbed your leg. <laughs> yeah, well, well, as everybody knows, Eddie's uh, partially blind, a great singer, and. Uh, he has a you know a few problems um, seeing things sometimes. Uh, mind you, I must admit he saw the pretty girls, the good-looking girls, when we were together in Melbourne. <laughs> I didn't see them, <laughs> but uh, what happened? We had a, there was a big scrap. Oh, the sailors were there. The big fight, and we got into it. And and, and I was doing fine until someone was nearly breaking my leg, my ankle, and I. I 
I was trying to shake it off. And I looked down to his Eddie. <laughs> he had the wrong ankle. <laughs> <laughs> so then you, you went to London. How long did you stay in London, uh, in England, for uh, John? They spotted me in... Um, in Sydney, the, the the people, I mean, the the, the promoters, the manager, management, mm. and they took me to London October of 1967, and I stayed in London for about two years. Never worked so hard in all my life because I recorded about a hundred songs, you know. But it was a great. I was going to say, experience. is that all? Two years? Uh, yeah, I, I must have. I must have been. I didn't even realise. I must have been working every week um, yeah. recording. And so, um, and then from there, is that when you were um, you went to the states or you toured America? Um, I I left. Um, I was booked to to work in Las Vegas. It was the era of um, Elvis. Rat Pack. El, Elvis. Um, uh, no, no. There was a uh, the Rat Pack were there, but the era was right. of of they they brought Elvis back to Las Vegas for a big return comeback, and Tom Jones was there. Uh, and they were really big in Vegas, and this entrepreneur said he liked one of my songs that I was recording in London, and he invited me to go there as well to the Flamingo Hotel. So it was a great, it was just a great era. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, halfway through the book, John Rolls, if I only had time, and just, you know, the photos and the people that you were able to meet. Um, there's a photo of you with Sammy Davis Jr., mm. with Cliff Richard. Shadows, the shadows are your you know, heroes, um, you know, can you tell us, you know, during that period where you got to meet and even work with your idols? Um, I was quite green, really. I, mm. I wasn't ready because I was only about 19, about 20, sorry, 20, 20 when I went to England. I was, uh, to be honest, I was a bit scared of the whole scene, but but I, I managed to fit in with them and, you know, and and um, have a have a lunch with them and things like that quickly, sort of acquaintance, sort of a in and out sort of situation. But um, I ended up in the shadows, uh, or Cliff Richard in the shadows, and they they were my idols. So I ended up like in that same uh, management office group. So mm -hmm. it was like a dream come true to me, you know. Hank Marvin was my idol, and uh, and I was sitting with him, talk, having words with him, and listening to him play, you know. So uh, it was a sort of surreal, it was a, a dream that came true yeah. for me, which I don't know how you explain how that yeah. happens, but uh, that's, that's in the fate or the destiny. And um, tell us about your time spent in Hawaii, John. Well, that was one of uh, great moments for me, Hawaii. Any favourites? You know, Australia, I mean, sorry, Aussie, London, Las Vegas, Hawaii, any favourites that really... Hawaii is my favourite. Yeah. Yeah, uh, mainly because um, I was... I love the weather, and I sat around and the, the uh, hospitality and the aloha. I was there when the Americans sort of it belonged to the Americans, right? <laughs> and everybody was wearing aloha shirts and things like that. And then there was a lot of changes later, but um, I, I, I was there in the early days. You know, Don Ho, Dick Jensen. Uh, we all had our own showrooms, and uh, we all had our own thing happening for ourselves. Mm. And uh, Hawaii was great because the weather was always good, which was which I loved. I I had a suntan every day, <laughs> bronzed <laughs> I, every day, a bronzed every day, a turquoise shirts, beautiful off-white uh, suits on stage, um, um, a million beautiful women. <laughs> I was I was in my glory, you know. And so, when the overseas um, part of your career, um, you know, came 
ended and you came back to Aotearoa to New Zealand. Um, I don't know, was that, did you look at that as the next chapter in your musical career? I sort of went all over the globe. I did well sometimes and not so well other times. I went back to Australia. That's when I had my two sons. Uh, Deborah had my two sons, uh, Dane and Blake. So I sort of uh, could have gone back to Hawaii and concentrated on Las Vegas and Hawaii, um, but trends were changing, and I decided to stay in Australia with my two sons, you know, as they were growing up. Mm. And then that, that went along, and then uh, then we split, uh, the mother and me. So um, education, schooling is important. So we had the house in, um, in uh, Manly, um, but I'm actually... Uh, beginning to miss them a bit more, so I may have to work out another system. <laughs> I might have to put them in here to Kaurau High School. <laughs> no, no. Are, you, are you Auckland? Just kidding, <laughs> You're Auckland based, aren't you, John? Uh, yeah, I'm living yeah. in the house that I bought for Mum in 1970 in uh, West, out the West. I'm a Westie. Yes. I hardly look like a Westie, but I'm a Westie. So, John, <laughs> let's, actually, let's talk about your parents, about Mum and Dad. You know how. Obviously, the book is, um, I mean, it's very, uh, gives a very personal account, um, as you do with the autobiography. Tell us more about your mum and your dad. Mum was always my driving force. Um, old Darby, oh, he was a character. That <laughs> was his dad. That was his nickname, yeah. 1934 to 38, Maori All Black. Uh, strong man, wing and three quarter. Used to run into through them instead of around them. Yeah, they all, they all thought he was the prop <laughs> because he was always late on the field and he he wore no no foot no boots, yeah, but they got to know him as a, a likable uh, character. Uh, but he was strong, strong as a bull, and got through George Napier too. Um, That's right. Yeah, outsmarted him, went straight. Uh, last deep. last man last man to for him to get through. Went straight for him, and George says, "Okay, let him try to get through me, right?" And he thought he was going to go through him, knock him over like Jonah Lomu did, you know. <laughs> and he, he he outsmarted him. He got right next to him, and he, he did a quick sidestep. He had a, he had this magic hip movement. It was a, his own unique movement. And then he took the score, and George and Eppie looked around and said, "How the hell did that happen?" My father always was sort of always um, trying to um, um, what's the name of me into being being a, a good football player, uh, encouraged me. Um, my mother was sort of trying to encourage me to, to keep singing because she used to love my voice, you know, as a kid. Mm. And my father had one of... Um, my father had that one of those tremolos, you know, like Dean Waratini. <laughs> oh, <laughs> when tremolos. He, when he, no, no, when he sang, when he, sang he, he... We used to do duets together. We used to sing, uh, you know, like a dark moo. <laughs> I used to say to him, "You hear me trying to start my prefect up in the morning in the mid- middle of July when 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 it wouldn't start, you know, when you turn the key." Ding, ding, I was ding, only ding. Kid, you going, rrr, rrr, rrr. <laughs> and I used to say, "Come on, Dad, tighten that tremolo up, you know, try to keep it straight." And Mum used to say to him, "Oh, get out of there, Eddie. Just let John sing." When I did become successful and made. Um, some money overseas. I was always um, sending some home, and yeah. sometimes my mother would say to me, I used to say to my mother, sorry, in London on the phone, I'd say, do you need any money, Mum? And she would she'd say, no, no, I'm, we're fine, uh, John, we're fine. And the old man used to hear her say that and go, what the hell did you tell him that for? <laughs> but he was a, a likeable uh, character, you know? He's a great character. I took him to Australia, 
And then when I actually became successful in London and Australia, uh, man, he was such a proud man. He used to go around all over the bear, plenty skiting. That he he's, he was the creator. <laughs> and mum used to say, "What about me? <laughs> you know, I was also part of it. I used to go to the White Heron, and I used to um, he used to come with me, and I used to we used to have lunch. And I was sort of at that time as a lot because I came out from Las Vegas, and it was a, an American thing to tip, right? To tip after you yes. lunch." And anyway, so I'd, if the bill was about 40 bucks, I'd probably leave about five bucks, right? And I would head off and say, come on, Dad, let's go. I would head off to the front door to the car, and, and I'd say, where, that, where is he? I'd look around, where is he? He was, he was back at the table picking up that $5 and putting it in his pocket <laughs> and says, they're not going to get this. Was Māori language ever in the house? Uh, my mother spoke fluent. Maori, yes, and she was. But she, but she was brought up, you see. It was that generation before us. You know, she was brought up in uh, Te Whaiti, in Nuhaka, and at their school, she she spoke it fluently. She was fantastic. And uh, my father, of course, did. Um, but unfortunately, it dropped off, you know, mm. and after that period when we grew up, it dropped off in the schools, unfortunately, because uh, I still believe firmly today that it should be our second second language as a country. But... In order to do it, it has to start from childhood in the schools and because, the reason why, because uh, the thing that bothers me about it is the actual enunciation, you know. If you can't say the Māori words correctly, uh, it doesn't sound right, mm. you, know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But the only way around that is to start, start from, the, from the childhood, you know, yes. from um, infant. And, um, Kindergarten. Yeah. So that so you, did you hear the language when you were growing up? It just wasn't in the household. I mean, oh, like from your elders, from your I wasn't, uncles. Wasn't it was there, but I I, I was only interested in the English. You know, You know, just little short short words here yeah. and there. Kapai, you know, but not in a fluent way. Conversational. No, no, no. That's that's one of my regrets. But yeah. anyway, it wasn't. Wasn't my focus at the time. Yes. My focus was just the guitar and singing. This is from page 37, John Rolls, if I only had time. I hated science and maths. I got two out of a hundred for maths and asked the teacher what the two points were for. You do great lines with your ruler, he said. Where was Paul Catley when I needed him? Probably in college, getting top marks. <laughs> How hilarious. No. What were the two points for? Well, I just... Drew some straight lines <laughs> with the ruler, and and the, the old cheeky um, teacher said, oh, "I better give him a two <laughs> out of a hundred instead of zero. Uh, oh but uh, Paul Catley, I used to—he was a brainy bugger. Uh, Paul Catley, he was my mate, and I used to—I used to pay him to do my homework. <laughs> That's right. You know, and, and when I, I, I when we have had a little bit of a, a feud, I couldn't. I couldn't have an argument with him because I would have... He was have... just too clever. No, no, no. He used to help me do my homework. Oh, right. You know, I couldn't copy him sometimes. So he's... <laughs> <laughs> okay, from page 76. One night while I was in full voice singing If I Only Had Time, one of the hermits strolled out on stage and nonchalantly handed me a big clock. He caught me off guard and I became a little flustered. Yeah, I took... <laughs> the cheek, cheek, 
cheeky bugger. I took hold of the clock and he turned and, smiling to the audience, sauntered off stage again before I could hand it back. I had no option but to carry on singing while holding this bulky clock. Here, here, here I was. It was my very first international hit. It was going up the charts. And you know the British sense of humour. You know, they're, they're yeah, just... Monty Python kind yeah, of yeah, 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 that sort of thing, right. So I'm really serious and going... Mm, if I only had time... And the room was very quiet. And he slowly walked out and handed me this big, big clock. And <laughs> I wasn't that experienced at the time to make fun of it. I, yes. I just stood there like a dummy with this big clock if I only had time. And they, they thought it was hilarious. Who is this book for, John? Who is this book um, targeted towards, do you think? Uh, what I will just, people get out of it? I just think just stories, my my journey around the world and things they don't know about that yeah. uh, happened here and there with me and show business, uh, what happens in show business, yes. the breaks, the ins and outs, the, the success, the, the non-success, uh, uh, just little stories, and it's quite plain and simple, you know. It's, it's, a, ver- it's yep. a for for me. What they should get out of this book, I think, is the Kowado kid who used to deliver um, heralds, newspapers when he when I was thirteen, and then within fifteen years, I was uh, from Kowado. I went all the way up the the ladder, so to speak, the globe, and was sitting with uh, with Al Capone's right hand man, who was Marcus Lipsky, in negotiating. In that sense, it's 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 quite interesting, you know how how you can. It, it's hard to sort of imagine it, but it was true. Mm. So um, hopefully they'll find it interesting. Love me tender, love me sweet. You can cut me off any time you want. Take me to your heart. You have made. My life complete And we'll never part Love me tender Love me true All my dreams fulfill For my darling I love you and I always will. Oh, thank you, Justine. Thank you so much, John. My you love ju- to everybody. You just transported me back to 1976 watching you in the, in the smoky <laughs> nightclub. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. Kia ora, John Rolls. We've posted up links about John, which you'll find on our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash Te And you can peep us out on Facebook whānau mā, search Te that's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. Email to te at radionz.co.nz. You're listening to the sound of Te with Justine Murray and Mariah Rakuraku. It's your boy, Taina. Turning a hundred is always an achievement and worth celebrating. When you're a person, you get a letter from the Queen. When it's a building, you get a plaque. And if it's a marae, you get all your whānau coming home. As was the case last weekend when the Whare Puni Te Kiritahi at Kaifaiki Marae Whanganui River celebrated its centenary. Kaumatsua, Morvan Simon. Oia no kāti ki oro mai rā tātou. 
In the weekend just gone by, there were some centenary celebrations. Hmm. Uh, it was to celebrate a hundred years of our our meeting house at Tikiritai, and uh, we had a number of people who are descended from the house come on uh, from around the, the Mutu and from Australia and so on. So, yes, it was very successful and uh, beautiful. Weekend as well. Now, in terms of whare, would this be one of the oldest in the region? Not the oldest. I think there's others that are that are older, but uh, this is one of the meeting houses uh, on the Marae of Kaihuaiki, and of course, uh, other houses uh, probably um, in the throughout the river uh, are are older. Um, there was one in Tomaranui, Ngapu Waiwawa, which also uh, celebrated uh, 100 years not so very long ago, uh, a few weeks ago as well. So just coming around to the time when uh, those houses were built, you know, 100 years ago, and um, we're just trying to, I suppose, celebrate the 100 years of our people Many of them who built these houses were uh, not um, commissioned or qualified uh, with any particular qualification as builders, but they did well with what they did. And as a result, well, they lasted 100 years, so they couldn't have been too bad. Did you have to go through a restoration and renovation period as well? No, we just got the... Polished it up. Yes, got our people to do, uh, go in and have a look, and those who offered to to uh, do bits here and there stayed with the uh, process uh, uh, all the way through the last uh, two or three weeks, maybe a month or so, and um, uh, no, it worked out very well. It worked out very successfully. Now, how many whare are there along the river? Oh, well, there's about uh, um, oh, the, the, the whole lot. Each each whare has, I mean, each marae has his, uh, their own whare. And, of course, there's, um, uh, there's meeting houses from here all the way through the river to Tomaranui and uh, meeting houses from here to Pipiriki and across to Raitihi and around to Taihape as well, that are all part of the Atihau, which is the principal iwi of the area. Yes, the Atihau. Nuiā Paparangi. Paparangi. Yes. And Ngā Pairangi Hapu. Ngā Pairangi Hapu of Kaiwaiki, yes. And uh, so we were happy with our celebration. Uh, everything went well. We started off at four o'clock in the morning and um, well we didn't finish until you know, late evening and um, we didn't have any breaks in between 
because it was a particular process that we engaged in to be part and parcel of the uh, the celebration for the day. And everyone had a good time and reminisced about different things. And I even launched a book uh, about the marae, Kaiwaika marae, uh, and it was called uh, 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 Volume 3, <coughs> Takuware E, not me, Takuware, was called uh, that because, uh, uh, just simply because it's my home, my heart. Takuware uh, 1 talked about the marae from here to Pipiriki and across to Raitehi, uh, Waiuru, and all the way around uh, Taihape and so on, Martin, Ratana, and Takuware 2 speaks about those places that you can only get to by a canoe or by jet boat or by water, by the river. And those are the ones from Pipiriki up and Te Aumarama, Parinui, Tieke, Mangapapapa, and, uh, and all those places. Are they still warm, those whare? Yeah, well, the, uh, those ones are, yes. Um, there are still places that uh, hopefully will be renovated uh, as well, uh, but they're visited, visited every year uh, by way of the Tirahoi Waka, which is a, a pilgrimage that occurs in January every year. And, and that's a pilgrimage by Waka? By Waka. Ten, Mai Taumaranui. Ki Whanganui. Aye. Uh, all the way to Putiki, okay. and um, it takes about 10, day, 10 to 12 days. And it's um, yeah, a wonderful uh, sojourn, if you like, of history. Uh, and um, <clears throat> people uh, learn about where the ancestors lived, where the Marais used to be that are no longer there, uh, and where their ancestral Hokapapa um, <clears throat> uh, lead them back to, leads them back to, and um, it gives them an insight as to how the old people lived as well. Uh, the river was everything. Was our first motorway. Was our first fish shop. Was our first pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Was our first laundrette. It was our first uh, uh, interlink between every hapu over a hundred miles, you know, right up through the river, on both sides of the river. Uh, and so it gave us our, our, uh, you know, our, our fish, the fish that came by the season and the normal fish that would be all the time, like the, the eel and, and so on. <clears throat> Uh, seasonal fishes like whitebait and smelts. Um, so all of that, <clears throat> the kanai, which is the mullet, uh, all of those were very important to the uh, the diet of the people in the old days. And of course, the, they we used to go, go out to sea as well from here and, uh, you know, pick up different things out there just off the coast. Uh, there used to be pao and uh, kina even off the coast there, so the old people 
uh, made note of, and Karegor and all of those. But I can remember myself getting poo poo and pippies down here and on the river flats right at the mouth until such time as the river became heavily polluted and people start, stopped going there. Uh, mussels, used to be mussels all over the rocks down there and we would go down and grab enough for a bucket full to take home. And, yeah, so the river provided all of that. It also provided our logs for, uh, for building, our logs for canoes, it even provided our, 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 our uh, <coughs> firewood uh, and other ingredients that were important to the sustained livability of the people of the time. Hmm. So Saturday and Sunday was really to uh, try to relive that, try to recapture it. And of course, uh, you know, when you think of, uh, I'll talk for myself, was to say that my, my grandfather would have been 139 years old now, uh, but you know, I, I, I was there with him for the 10, ten years of my life until he the died. The first 10 years of your life? Yeah, until he died. And so it just shows you the span of, uh, you know, our lives to interconnect with one generation over another. Taught us how to be uh, in the river safe, uh, how to grow kai and uh, plough the garden and all of that sort of thing. Of course, those days uh, before 1952, we had no power. We still were back in the lantern days and the candles. There was nothing wrong with that. It was, it was awesome days. Uh, and, you know, I keep telling the kids, you fellas are really lucky today. You know, you press a button and you're drinking your tea in a, in a, in a minute from pressing the button those days. If you, firewood, if you had no, no wood, out. yeah. <laughs> If you had no wood, then you had to go and get the wood. And then to get the wood, you had to go and catch a horse first, hook it up to the sledge, go and get the wood, come down, chop it up, and then start the fire. Then put your kettle on. So those are things that, you know, they would have no, never invented into their head. Uh, yeah, so, again, that was um, relived and uh, told about in the book that I released uh, on on Saturday as well. In INA, Morvan, at the moment I'm sitting with you in your office and on your desk is an iPad mm. and we're surrounded by various technology. Do you find that um, Te Ao Māori can sit alongside this comfortably? I think so. Uh, for myself, I mean, I've, uh, I've only just learned to, to use these things of late, but the pencil was really my, you know, my forte. Pencil and the pen, that, that was, you know, I did everything in longhand for me. And um, uh, in fact, uh, this is my sixth book that I released on Saturday, and... Um, yeah, all, the, all the others were done by longhand. 
you know, because I just feel safe with that. And uh, how the today, these are no doubt about it, they, they allowed us to take shortcuts uh, and speed things up and make it, you know, a, a presentable job almost immediately. There is something that's been lost, though, isn't it? When you were talking earlier about uh, uh, going down the river and it's an opportunity for uh, people to reconnect in. Uh, are you finding that that's getting more difficult as people are becoming more advanced, you know, more technically advanced and perhaps they're not quite seeing the value? Not really. Not, not when you decide to come back to do that particular pilgrimage. Well, first of all, there's no, there's no contact anyway. You can't use cell phones and that on a river. Um, you, you know, you're, there's no service. Um, so thankfully that, that, uh, that, that, that's a blessing. And otherwise people sort of, um, uh, you know, are, are trying to, to listen and talk at the same time, which can't work, you know. And so we're, uh, we're pretty strong about those sorts of things, even around cultural practices and so on. You can't, you can't uh, listen and, and learn at the same time. We can't listen and talk at the same time. And, and of course, with, with the kids there, the techniques that they have with the texting and so on is such that they don't seem to be able to leave their phone alone for even a few minutes, you know? And so, uh, and that's, I suppose, uh, came in about oh, 25 years ago, maybe a bit more. And I, I can remember the teaching days when I was teaching at Autopara. Uh We didn't have cell phones, but we had those little, those little pages, those little geeky things that the the pages uh, that would come up with a number. No, no, not even pages. They were just little things that you can play, you know, play with aliens and all that oh, sort yes. of thing. Yeah, and and of course we made a thing. Don't don't play with those in there because they used to have a little beep, you know, those mm -hmm. little things. And of course, what they did was, was I said, if I hear any more beeps, I'll, I'll smash that thing straight right in front of your right in front of your nose. Anyway, uh, they got cunning, and then they they really, they took they the got beep the out. sound off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they took the beep out there, yeah. but oh no, we were too we were too aware, you know, and so we did very well at school once they tuned into learning rather than trying to uh, get past the teacher. You know. <laughs> <laughs> now, how how is it that the valley is also known as the Valley of Voices? The Valley of Voices <laughs> arrived uh, was derived from the fact that. Um, Back in the days when the steamers used to come up the river, they used to stop at different places and they stopped at home a lot to deliver the mail and so on. Uh, and um, this particular person who who raised that, you know, he came up and then uh, the, our people were singing at the time, which I used to do a lot. And, uh, and that's where that came from. 
uh, he did the singing, he was mesmerized by the singing, and he said, uh, the, um, you know, I've, I've uh, visited the Valley of Voices. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's ended up sticking. Yeah, and it ended up sticking, and so we've named our, our LPs uh, and our CDs, uh, the Valley of Voices. So these are different albums that you've recorded over the years? Yes, over the years. Ethan El Māori? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, one or two songs are in English as well, but we've done quite a few um, CDs in, in Māori. Um, in memory of the old people, in memory of you know, game players who were excellent singing themselves. Um, so, yes, all that sort of thing. Now, just looking on your wall here, is that you on your wedding day? Yeah, oh and yeah. is that outside the Fuddy? Yeah, outside that one, yeah. 1970. Gosh. Mm. Yeah, so time, time gets on by. <laughs> yeah. And that's your wahine? Yeah. That's kura? That's kura, ana. Gosh, how old were you two there? Oh, she was 18. Oh! <laughs> yeah. mm. And I was 25 or something, 24, Oh, 25. goodness. And that's, out, yeah. that's outside the Fuddy? Yeah, just in front of the hall, and of course it's been cleaned up and tidied up, and <laughs> you know, and, and, and re-spruced again in, in this last uh, weekend. And so, yeah, that's our meeting house. There's actually a double gabled house. Um, and it's a, a, a unique house, and that's, we're very proud of it, and and so on. Um, <clears throat> but other than that, though, we, it was a very, very successful weekend. And we had uh, 30 or so people come back to be baptised on on the next day, Sunday. And we had uh, two or three hundred people there again, uh, all, all descendants from the Malaya. So it was great. We had the hakari on both days. and. And, you know, it was really an opportunity to call people to keep coming home. Uh, we will always uh, have the ahika at home and uh, something like 50 families living at home. Uh, and of course That's most, good. That's oh, a yeah. lot of people. Yes, it is. And, of course, just next door, like next door in terms of being here in the city, uh, uh, hundreds more, you know, who, who come home whenever there's a tangi. Tangi, we only ever seem to go yeah. home when there's tangi there. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> we're, we've got a sort of special thing going for ourselves uh, and we've got a tremendous uh, band of workers, you know. We can have uh, 100 people at the back and 100 people stand up as soon as we finish the back. Gosh, that is we, good. We, we welcome other people in, you know, and 100 of us stand up to sing. That is good. Oh, yeah, no trouble. And that's been our... That's well patronised. That's good. Yeah, that's been Lucky our, you don't have ten or maybe five people. Don't matter. Even if we do, we'll be ready for that. Yeah, you know, you've got to be ready. You've not been teaching Pai Pai for years now. And uh, and I tell them, if there's no one here to sing for you, sing your own. Aye. You know, and uh, they get used to, you know, and to uh, be able to learn those things as a collective 
and as an individual. Did you ever think that you would have a career um, teaching those things? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, from third form, I was right into it. So I never, never went away from it. Mm. And then I was composing from fourth form. Mm. And, um, yeah, so still composing now, but thankfully my, my children and grandchildren are composing. Have picked it up. Yeah. But not only that, there's all the nieces and nephews are doing their own composing compositions as well. And they're going very well. They're all singing with different groups around. And so, you know, it's... Uh, uh, yes, hats off to them for that. <laughs> yeah. Kia ora, nā mihi mahana kia koe, Morvan Simon, nō ngā pairangi hapu, whanganui. Now, Te Kiritahi started off as Morvan Simon's great-grandparents' house that they gifted to the hapu, and ever since, it's been the home base for ngā pairangi. Last weekend, Napier was buzzing with Iron Māori Half Marathon and talk about popular. This year, there were 2,100 competitors who took part. Including some of my mates. Kia ora hiria. Next year, ehoa, next year. That's 600 up from last year. I mean, that is pretty amazing. The winners were actually a husband and wife team, Dino and Natalie Gaskin. Hey, hey, hey. It's not about the winning that's attracted many a Māori to enter into the competition. Registrations online were closed in, and get this, eight minutes. But it's the Kaupapafano. Everyone's giving it a go, no matter fitness level or size. Ai, he mihi tēnā kia koutou ngā kaitākaroa Iron Māori i tērātu wiki. Who knows, young? Maybe you'll see me or Mariah join you next year. That's right. Aneira, Morvan Simon, and nō me te whakatauki i tēnē wiki. Give me the child until he's seven, and I will return you the man. And all that, that is, is just that uh, by then, the habits that he grew up with in those seven years will have been established. Mm. And of course, without our grandp- grandparents and, and our tupuna and so on, uh, that's exactly what happened. Kia ora. Next week, we've got the kids from Ōturu School Kaitaia and their concoctions with honey and olive oil. It was a big year for Ngakohanga Reo Māori who took a case to the Waitangi Tribunal that included their concerns about applying Kaupapa Māori while operating under a mainstream framework. Following the release of the Waitangi Tribunal report, Matua Rautia, Justine went to Waifetsu Kohana Reo Lower Hutt to see if the tribunal got it right. Then it's a week till our final program for the year. That'll be a hard case in that line up, Fano Ma. Stay tuned.